Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) I hope it's morning where you are, or not, (laughs) depending on whether or not you like mornings. We did a poll before the call started. Um, I used to be into mornings, but I'm not now. Did you know that people change over time? Well, we'll talk about that a lot today. My name is Century. (laughs) 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 I'm here more than one even. And one is very familiar with you. Or wait. And the other, I hope that you're more familiar with as well. But you know what? I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Actually, when you listen to the podcast, we also listen to you. So I know you very well. And I'm sorry if that's weird. I know a lot about y'all. It's honestly, I'm concerned about 10% of you. 20% I think are living better than me and I'm pretty upset about it. The rest, you're fine. (laughs) <laughs> oh, hi, I'm Essie Fleenor. Um, I'm obsessed with these openings. They make me extremely happy. Glad to be here with my bud, Sarah Century. And I'm so excited. We have an awesome guest here today. We've had you on before, but you know what? I can never get enough of you. The lovely Archie Bongiovanni. <laughs> Welcome to the pod. Hi, happy to be here. Yay! So, Archie, would you just briefly introduce yourself to our listeners, just in case there's a chance they don't know who you are? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm Archie Bongiovanni. Um, I use they, them pronouns. I am a comic artist and illustrator based in Minneapolis. Um, I'm, uh, I have written, I co-wrote and illustrated a quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns. Um, and then I also am the author of a comic called Grease Bats. Um, and then my newest graphic novel just came out last March called Mimosa. And it's about a group of queers in their mid thirties and forties, um, as they navigate the implosion of their chosen family. Oh, me, oh my. And if you haven't checked out episode 130, you don't have to ask permission featuring Silver Sprockets, Avi Ehrlich, Archie Bongiovanni, and Eddie Adams. Make sure to do that. We'll link to it in the show notes. It was an awesome time. We talked a little bit about grease bats, about zine making generally. Uh, I think you actually had COVID at the time of the interview, so I'm curious if you remember it. (laughs) Do you remember it? I do remember it. I do remember. I remember it was cool because I I love love talking about zines. I got to talk about my zine that was through that was published through Silver Sprocket called Yes, I'm Flagging, How to Use the Hinky Code to Signal the Sex You Want, which is like such a fun zine that I got to make. And um, I remember because I was like very excited to talk to you two, to like to y'all and the Silver Sprocket crew. And then I like was like, 
but I can't really talk that much. Like, I'm going to be coughing. <laughs> like, I was like muted, <laughs> like, kind of like coughing throughout oh, the you interview. Know what? We, get it was, it. we get it. We get it. Yeah. Our, we had yeah. uh, Carmen Maria Machado on twice. And the second mm-hmm. time we had her on, she didn't have any flexibility. She had to record that day. And I lost my voice because oh, I had no. been, because I've been in the pandemic. I've just been alone. And I went and like yeah. did things because it was a nice weekend. And I lost my voice from talking to people. It was <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> so I completely relate to what you're saying about like, well, I'm here, but maybe yes. <laughs> I don't sound as good as I like. Not quite that honey voice going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, no fever this time. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, love to hear it. Well, you know, since you brought it up, um, you know, another part of what we we're going to talk about today is, yes, I'm flagging, queer flagging 101, how to use the hanky code to signal the sex you want to have by you, the lovely Archie Bongiovanni from Silver Sprocket. It is the this full-color zine that is, I think, just so stunning, so beautiful. I'm, You know, it feels like there's a ton in it. There's a ton of narrative, a ton of history, a ton of um, shade, which I enjoy, thrown to cishet people, you know, and then there's a ton of information about <laughs> <laughs> what flagging looks like and 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 those pieces. So, you know, just to, to kick us off, because, you know, Mimosa is going to be probably a little heavier in some points, not that that's mm-hmm. a bad thing, but there were two aspects for me that really stood out in Yes, I'm Flagging, which, well, several, but, you know, one is just having this written down. What a value, you know, when we think about queer knowledge and, and trans knowledge, we, mm-hmm. it's such an oral tradition, really, right? Like we share these things when we're connected, but when we have societies that are actively invested in keeping us from preserving our knowledge. Sarah talks a lot about the queer archive, and I'm always grateful for that. We have to find ways to pass that information on. And, and yes, I'm flagging has become one of the pieces of that. I'm curious for you, you know, what what was the moment you were like, this isn't just something I want to share with people. This is something I want to put down on the page and I, I want to sort yeah. of preserve in a sense. When did that happen? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so like, you know, I discovered flagging and I started to flag and it was just like such a thing that I would bring up at bars and gatherings like all the time to be like, oh, I'm flagging. Are y'all flagging? And like, kind of like, you know, it became like such, it's such a fun talking point. Like, you know, like some, some queers have astrology. I'm like, what hanky are you wearing? Um, (laughs) as like a kickoff, kickoff, um, conversation starter. Um, and I got kind of like tired of having to go, like when people are like, well, what a color is like coral or something like that. And like, I don't have, I, you know, I had a lot of the colors memorized, but not all of them. Um, and I got kind of tired of having to go to this like same website that had like the code. And I was like, I don't think that this needs to be like a website, like just like one site that exists on the site and online that, that had the colors listed. Um, and my answer for stuff like that is always to be like, make a zine about it. Um, (laughs) I love making zines. Um, I love drawing like sexy, sexy queers kind of like kissing or flirting on each other. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to print the zine. So then, you know, um, similar to, um, a quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns that also started out as a zine as just like a way for me to like hand out or give out the information. So I don't necessarily always have to do the explaining myself. Um, and also because I do think it is important to have a physical copy or like, you know, something, information that is like physical, that is like, there's like a mm-hmm. different weight to that kind of information, to the kind of art, to the kind of words 
when you hold something like in your hands and like can like look through it versus like reading it on a screen. Um, and so I've always been like into the physicality of zines. Um, and so, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this. And then eventually Silver Sprocket was like, oh, we could print this for you. And I was like, yes. And they were like, we could do it in color. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Because I <laughs> was just like printing it black and white um, and kind of like, you know, expanded a, a little bit. Um, yeah. And that's kind of like, yeah, that is sort of like just how it started. It's like, I, if there's like information and stuff that you want to get out to folks, to me, the answer is like create something that can be like easily produced that you can hand out. Mm-hmm. Or that people can buy without having to like think too hard about it. Cause like you're not always, you don't always want to just Google stuff. It's not the same. Oh, yeah. And websites come and go like all of the time. There's mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Both SE and I have written tons of work for Ugh. publications online that just doesn't exist anymore. Disappeared. So there mm-hmm. is that that kind of, oh, it could be gone in a year. Or there's the idea to, I mean, reading it, it reminds me of somebody, I mean, I think like maybe 10 years ago at a zine fest was like, oh, here's this. This is definitely for you. And it was like the lesbian (laughs) vocabulary or something like (laughs) that. And it was all of these terms for like lesbians, basically. It was just so, so long. It was so many pages, a surprising amount of pages. And I'll say I learned a lot, but I was (laughs) definitely just like reading through and being like, this only exists in a zine, especially, you know, like 10 years ago, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. just... It's that that's what zines are kind of there for whenever it comes to queer people, I think, is just to be like, oh, in like 20 years, somebody is going to pick up. Yes, I'm flagging and be like, whoa, yeah, (laughs) they were talking about this 20 years ago. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, that's kind of how it goes. That's the beauty of zines, in my humble opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, and it was fun to like kind of like, you know, I get to like write what the colors and stuff mean like in my voice, in my style, mm-hmm. and like update it a little bit um, to make it like, I, I feel like the original, you know, because of the history, the original started with with gay men. Um, and so it's kind of fun to be like, how would I interpret this color in a more queer, trans inclusive mm-hmm. way? Um, and And so that was like, you know, it's like fun to do too. I love reading old zines that are like sexy and being like, I love learning about history. (laughs) (laughs) I am a scholar. (laughs) It's great. I mean, it is like, I feel like it is like, it is like literally part of like queer history is our sexuality, Uh you know, or, and, and like how we, how, where, et cetera, we had sex is part of queer history that I think, um, You know, it's like when you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to fight for rights, that can kind of get downplayed (laughs) Mm -hmm. because people look at it, um, you know, as like as something that kind of like can hold us back in the mainstream. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that's kind of the issue, isn't it? <laughs> like mm-hmm. every time that conversation comes up where people are like, but pride is a rampant sex fest or whatever. And I'm like, man, I never get laid at pride. <laughs> 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 but it's also just like, come on, like, what are you talking about? Like, that's important mm-hmm. too. Like, you can't say like, and also people have sex. Like there is a lot of sex at just regular ass festivals all of mm-hmm. the time. Like I went to like Taste of Colorado one time and saw a couple <laughs> yeah. having sex against a car. And it was a straight couple, of course. So it's fine. That's, was it that's Lauren child Bober? friendly. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. So I, I agree with what you're saying, basically. Not a question, just concurring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and I think, you know, sort of tied to that to some degree, Sarah, is I, I was thinking about, I told you before we started, Archie, that I like was crying reading Yes, I'm Flagging, which is so funny. It's not that emotional, <laughs> uh, but it is emotional, emotional. <laughs> but it is because it's like, it's written down. They can't take this from us. I think that's what mm, the feeling mm-hmm. was of like, this is here. And and they fucking, they wanted to kill us. They still do, all of us. And, and mm-hmm. we were like, haha, not only can you not kill us, but we're going to, in public, communicate with one another about how we want to fuck. And, and it's <laughs> happening right under your nose. And you don't know because you're not part of this. That is like yeah. that, that queer and trans and intersex resilience, the, the refusal to be ignored or, or to be... Mm-hmm. To, to to self-ignore, I guess, is a better way of putting it. Because it's it's about, you know, centering pleasure. And and one of the pieces I wanted to to bring up, which I think is is connects to a lot of what we're gonna talk about today, which is a line you said, don't overthink what feels good. And I was mm-hmm. like, fuck, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like don't, I mean, like, don't, I have a different zine called Don't Overthink What Feels Good. Um, <laughs> I knew that. I knew that so. somewhere in my brain. Somewhere in my brain, I was yeah. like, why, am yeah. I, why do I associate this exact phrase with you? That would be why. I mean, it's also like a thing that I say to myself a lot, but I think it is like a thing that, um, you know, when, when, when you talk to, you know, queer people or people who are debating about different aspects of their identity and stuff, um, that I think like it is something to like kind of like remind yourself of. If like don't if it feels good, like you don't have to overthink it. You don't have to justify it. You don't have to rationalize it. You know, if it's not doing, you know, harm, don't like don't overthink it. Um, I think of this often when folks are like, oh, can I don't know if I can use they them pronouns or like can I identify as like non-binary or genderqueer or trans or something like that. And it's just like you're not taking anything away from someone mm-hmm. by just, you know, using, changing your pronouns or um, like, you know, or um, or transitioning or like something like that. Like you, you don't have to overthink it. Does it feel good? <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. does it feel good to like change the way you dress, change your haircut or use a different pronoun? Like, great, go for it. And that's the same thing with like whatever someone's like sexual interests might be too, you know? So I think it can... I, I like it as like a catchphrase or a motto or that can like kind of leak into a lot of different aspects. Well, I think about it all the time. So thank you for that wonderful, yeah. uh, ter- you know, it's just, it's it's so uh, easy to remember. Don't overthink what feels good. And it just mm-hmm. rolls off your mm-hmm. tongue. So it's like one of those that sticks with me, one of those mottos that I agree with you. I think I, I, I spend a lot of time talking with, with people who are like, well, maybe if I had realized this earlier, I might use they, them pronouns. And I'm like, who fucking cares how old you are? Who cares about anything? Yeah. Like, have you looked outside? <laughs> like, do you, yeah. are you aware of how bad things are? Like, have your, <laughs> have your tiny rebellion. You know what? Use they, them pronouns and then go back to not using them. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Do Do it. Who knows? And maybe what you discover is a deeper connection with yourself is because I know for me, you know, I didn't, I don't, I don't think any of us did grow up with the term non-binary existing. Mm-hmm. It's a relatively new term. But when I heard mm-hmm. it, I was like, oh my God. So that explains a lot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. And I don't have to worry about the explanation. Sometimes I'll, you know, remember something from my childhood and be like, oh my God, was that me saying, I was non-binary. Like, how interesting. 
but I don't have to sit there and be like, well, let me get my evidentiary proof together. When I was right. four years old, I kicked all <laughs> dresses out a window and I should have, you know, it's like, I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. I, yeah. I feel like um, it brings up, you know, kind of just like the, you know, you might not, something might not like register to you or as like, oh, I didn't know that I could be non-binary growing up and stuff like that. I think it's so important, you know, the representation growing up of like gender queer or non-binary individuals where I was, was like non-existent. I didn't mm-hmm. see anything. Um, and it, I think that's part of the cool like power of like zines and books and stuff is because like once it's out there, it's out there. And like that could be someone's like pres- like first first presence, you know, first time they get to see it and then, once you see it, if it resonates, you know, that's like opening a door, which is like something that has happened since the publication of A Quick and Easy Guide to Data and Pronouns, which is, you know, a, a, a small zine book that is supposed to like, you know, help bridge that gap of understanding between mm-hmm. people who want to use data and pronouns and people who use it. But since that publication of it, I have gotten like several notes from folks who were like, oh, this is the first time I heard about <laughs> pronouns and now I realize I could do it you know like which was oh. not the intention <laughs> but just being able to like <laughs> see it out uh, which is yeah I just think one of the coolest things about you know books and publication and zines mm-hmm. and to your point Essie I was just gonna say that yeah the whole fluidity of it right is just being like oh you can it changes throughout your whole life. Mm. And like for people, I do think that that is mind blowing because it's just like, you know, certain times you you identify this way, maybe you'll change. Maybe it was different when you were younger. Everybody has a different story and a different process. That seems mm-hmm. very normal, but it actually, it turns out to be like kind of revolutionary whenever you put it to paper, right? Because mm. you're just like, yeah, it's chill. <laughs> People are like, no, what? Like, this is the first time someone told me it's chill. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and it's connected. We'll see if I actually make the connection. But it, like what you said, Sarah, just like clicked a bunch of stuff in my head for me. Like there's, there's this part where you say in, yes, I'm flagging Archie, that queerness doesn't have any physical traits. So we create our own symbols to find each other. And I think it's like that symbols is doing like a lot of work there, which is great because it should because we're talking about, you know, the handkerchief. But we're also talking about pronouns. Those are symbols. You know, we can't mm-hmm. I can't really tell you what it means to be non-binary. I'm using a metaphor. I'm using the metaphor of language to describe something that is so ineffable. I can't I can't tell you what my gender is like what that would be. You know, mm-hmm. a, the poets perhaps mm-hmm. could, but I am not a poet, my friends. And so I don't have it. But th- there's something so important about we're making ourselves legible to each other. And we're we're connecting mm-hmm. in that way so that when someone picks it up and says, wow, I really do want to get into some piss play, they have information. Okay, great. Go do it. Here's the, the handkerchief you need. Here's what to expect. Here's how to do it appropriately. It's a how-to and it's the the permission to, and that's really fucking cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. The, like a how to and a permission to like, is absolutely, is absolutely like the point of it. Yes. 
Like mm. just, yeah, just put a hang. You don't have to, don't overthink it. You know, like you just put it in your don't pocket. Don't overthink it. <laughs> the last thing I have to definitely say about Yes, I'm Flagging is I, it, I'd forgotten this had happened and we were talking and I was flipping through it and I got to the orange page and uh, Sarah is, is creating this beautiful uh, fiction podcast that we've got like one episode out of so far. It's called Tales of the Sapphire Bay Hotel. And she gave me a couple of uh, episodes to play with, which was super duper fun. And so I have this whole scene that revolves around these queers basically pranking this guy with flagging. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, you know, oh, and, good. <laughs> and I realized when you were like, oh, there's a website. I was like, oh my God, Archie, I went to the website and then I also found Yes, I'm Flagging. And I referenced Yes, I'm Flagging to choose which color handkerchief. Oh, my God, full circle. That's all. I don't, I, there's no question. I am tripping on that. That is wild. Yeah. So fun. That's so fun. The way that influence works. It's <laughs> just like the subtle ways that everybody, that all of the queer artists, like, kind of creep into each other's art. Like, oh, yes. I love to see it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's such a good way of putting it, Sarah. (laughs) (sighs) Well, I mean, Yes, I'm Flagging is gorgeous. Make sure you all check it out from Silver Sprocket. Um, If I remember, I will put a link to it in the show notes. If not, Silver Sprocket has a beautiful website. Uh, And and Silver Sprocket rules, okay? Oh, yeah. That's like their motto. Probably give (laughs) Silver Sprocket a heads up. Uh, We've been getting gorgeous packages (laughs) in the mail. Oh, my gosh. Just stunningly beautiful. Like, and um, truly stands out. If I get a Silver Sprocket package, I know exactly. (laughs) It's like you see Mm -hmm. it on the porch and you're like, I see that tape. I got it. This is Silver Sprocket. I got a new comic. Awesome. Get out of my way. I have to open my Silver Sprocket. And my laptop is covered in the stickers. Like, I have stickers (laughs) of Silver Sprocket all over this thing. And I have, you know, into the future, into future laptops, I'm going to have Silver Sprocket. (laughs) Same. I've got my collection. Tell me, give me some stickers in the package. Like, this is it. So good. (laughs) So much fun. You know, they do, they do yeah. such such cool work. So I'm always happy to see, you know, work from you specifically, Archie, and, and from Silver Sprocket in general. So yeah, please, please do go check them out. They're doing really cool shit, really gay shit, really queer shit, really trans shit. Mm-hmm. That, honestly, I... Yeah. Are other people trying? Yeah, I believe it. But Silver Sprocket's really found a way to to bring voice to, to stories that are, I think, other publishers are overlooking. So I, I'm... Mm-hmm. I'm a fan, which like I'm not really a fan of much. Yeah. Well, I am, or am I a fan of everything? I can't decide. It's either either <laughs> one. It's meaningless. Like in some way, fandom is meaningless, but not when it comes to Silver Sprocket. That's real. That's my only real fandom. What am I saying? Yeah, they are awesome. <laughs> well, speaking of that, though, I was thinking about how with uh, with getting Mimosa published, right? I I mm-hmm. would like to hear more about this because I was looking at a. A website that was talking about Tin House and how there was this kind of process behind it. So even sometimes the publishing part is just as interesting, right? So I would love to hear more about that because you were trying to get, from what I understand, you were like, okay, grease fat's excellent, but like, let's do something more long form. And mm-hmm. then you take it to Tin House. But uh, yeah, please, please fill in all of the areas that are obscured there <laughs> because I, I got like a very thin line there. So, um, the books, the, it, it's published through Surly Books, which is an imprint of Abrams, um, not Tin House. Right. Um, oh, yeah. But I did work on Mimosa in a Tin House residency. 
Right, right. <laughs> so, so good. Yeah, it was so useful. Um, yeah, so after Grease Bats, which, you know, was done monthly, I really wanted to, like, just, like, be able to sit down with, like, a graphic novel and a comic without, like, this, this needing to, like, churn out a new comic. And so I could actually spend time with the pages. And I wanted it to not be, you know, Grease Bats, since it was published monthly, I felt like I couldn't really get into a lot of character development because the audience wasn't sitting with the characters. So I really wanted to do like, you know, a long form graphic novel. So I could really like deep dive into my characters' lives. Um, and I uh, came up with, with this idea um, and I was able to bring it to, to Shirley books and, and they were um, so down for it. And I thought I was going to have like a lot of resistance <laughs> about like some of the subject matter, like in my sample pages and my concept, it like does start with that scene with the magic wand. Cause I wanted, I wanted, I wanted right away for the readers to recognize that this is a comic that is for adults and it is not like pornographic, but it's, it's for adult readers. Um, and previous experiences with like the publishing industry didn't you know not great as far as like queer adult representation um but um Shirley Books is Charlie Greenbaum and Mariko Tamaki and that their whole point is they are want to publish books that are queer that are also like for adults so so I kind of like lucked out in being able to like showcase my work um to to Abrams that way and um yeah, and being able to like have a small, you know, a book advance where I could actually like sit and draw like <laughs> 270 pages yeah. was so good for my soul. And like um I got to yeah, flesh out the characters and also like flesh out the world that they live in. Like Grease Bats has like no backgrounds. I got to draw so many backgrounds. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> did I answer the question? You did. You did. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. I like completely like no, it's I'm looking okay. around. Like I was like, where's my next question? <laughs> Sometimes we just like have to be like brain must wrap around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Like mm-hmm. sitting and thinking and being like, oh, wait, that's actually very deep because, uh, well, yeah, the history even of like magic wands is wild. Right. And so because yeah. the, like the company being like, we don't use them for that. <laughs> like, don't use yes. them for that. And so even starting on that is like definitely a, like a kind of mind-blowing thing. Once again, it's like in your mind, you're like, this is day-to-day life. And then you put it on paper and it's like, oh, that's actually kind of, uh, you know, like the publishing world would be like, <gasps> like yeah. gasp. Gasp. We are gasped. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we started recording, Archie, something you said, because I was just like, ADHD and just like barfing different thoughts mm-hmm. at you. And you said, you know, the climate right now is so different in publishing versus when you mm-hmm. were concepting. And is is that kind of what you were just talking about? And and is there, I'm curious if there's more you were thinking about in that vein. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> in some ways, yes, it is like different. When I was, and in some ways it's, it's very much still like similar or the same. I do think that um, publishers are taking and some publishers are taking more risks when it comes to queer content. Um, however, I do think comic publishing still as a whole is very YA, young adult focused. Um, and so in that kind of like YA focus or something like publishers feel, I think, a little bit safer with a book that could 
you know, crossover from adult to YA. So, you know, it could be for adults, but like, they're not scared of like high schoolers reading it or something like that. Um, one, because it means more money for the publishers, more, you know, more potential buyers. Um, two, I think when it comes to like the backlash of queer work, um, um, especially queer comics, um, you know, if if it's appropriate for use, the likelihood of backlash as far as like either like book banning or, um, you know, any sort of like backlash is is much slimmer if it's like just like, you know, more appropriate. Um, and and um, I feel like that has gotten worse. <laughs> the the no. book banning has obviously gotten worse in the past couple of years um, and the way that is targeted queer books is worse. And then when, I think when it comes to comics, um, I think that there are some books that can get away with different things, some young adult books who could potentially get away with um, different queer concepts, queer moments that once drawn out and you can like visually see become much more, you know, in in people's minds become much more explicit. Um, um, And I think that's just like kind of like navigating the change, the difference between literature or like, you know, written words and comics. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. And comics are kind of, there's a big history of that in comics mm-hmm. where it's like, oh yeah, in the 1950s, there were straight up, you know, book bur- comic book burnings mm-hmm. because people were like, this will make you gay <laughs> to read this yeah. comic. And it's just like, you know, and you want to be like, that's a lie. But then you read old Wonder Woman and you're like, this Maybe. is making me gay or actually. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe real. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Honestly, I wish because I I wish it was for everybody that way, not just for like people who are already a little gay, you know, because I'm like, oh, if I could just make more people gay with books, listen, mm-hmm. I'd be unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. But I've heard I've heard this before from a few people who are just like, yeah, or I mean, there is like a lot of backlash to like, you know, um, I would say still like, you know, kind of. Yeah, with queer people, sexual content is always the part where people are like, oh, and that's where I draw the line. No, thank you. And it's just like, but, but. Yeah, but it's part of our lives, right? You know, like. But but uh, I've had to watch like a million straight sex scenes. Like, come on. And I'm not even mad about it. I think that they're great. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. It truly is kind of like, um, you know, like purifying our lives (laughs) in a way that doesn't make sense to me um because and you know this isn't the case for every person obviously but because like you know being queer is not a monolith everyone's got a variety of different like lies and styles and stuff but um like I I was pitching this project once that had a character like boiling their dildos um and the the editor was like I find this offensive you know <laughs> they were like I'm offended by this visual oh and I was like God. really because it is like a Tuesday for me <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's and it's like, like I'm, a- I'm- Promoting hygiene. This is good. I should honestly be probably my next scene is like how to care for your sex toys. Like, <laughs> yeah, but like, Archie, you're, you would, you would make so much money off of that. Get on it. That is the, that's the answer. I'm writing yeah, it down. Sure. <laughs> and that editor a copy, like best wishes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's just like, you know, I, I, and I think that this is just kind of how it is, you know, is that like the, the daily aspects of queer life because 
are deemed as more explicit just by the nature of like the bodies involved. Um, mm. And I think by by like mainstream and like heterosexual society. Um, and then it becomes like obscene, you know, and inappropriate. Whereas I think, you know, I try to write for a queer audience who, you know, and hopefully my books, you know, can be read by straight people and enjoyed too. Um, but like, you know, my main audience is like, queer so if you get it you get it you know um and and I think I for me when I do slice of life stuff it's important to like actually showcase what that slice of life looks like mm-hmm. you know I think this is connected we'll see uh but in your <laughs> in your acknowledgments you know you were you thanked multiple people for helping mm-hmm. ensure your queer vision and making sure your characters were never diluted or toned down and it sounds like that was a very different experience than perhaps the boiling dildos uh, experience. Yes. <laughs> and, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about what that process was like, what it was like creating something and ensuring your vision, but also working with a team mm-hmm. that is there to help you refine and uplift that vision. Like what, what that process was like for you. I'd love to hear more. Yeah, the editors for Mimosa were fantastic. They were very thorough. They... Um, never wanted me to change any aspect of my comic when it came to like queerness. If anything, they really were editing towards for like um for like plot structure and and tone and um and to make it like a strong, just like a strong story. So I really lucked out um with with Shirley books because like I don't think that would be the case. I know that's not the case for like many other publishers. Um, but they, you know, I was with a team that was like willing to take a risk. And um, in some ways, you know, I think it has like paid off in some ways. It is like daunting because I think, you know, like a lot of reviews are like, this book is crude <laughs> and crass <laughs> in like maybe a positive way, maybe not. Um, but they were able to like take a risk on this book because they they knew that they wanted to like, yeah, like showcase just like queers living their life, queers in adult queers um, in their 30s who, yeah, was like are beyond, you know, something beyond like a coming out narrative. Um, um, yeah, so they were like fantastic to work with. And then the Abrams, like the whole team was really good. The designer, Andy, was fantastic and making like this vision of like the book as a whole kind of like look as good and feel as good as it does. Um, yeah. So I, you know, it was like one of the first times, you know, Silver Sprocket never has given me pushback obviously on my content. Um, and this was like the second time that I was able to work, you know, with Shirley Books that didn't, didn't push back. They were like embracing it. And like, I have another book, I have a contract out right now with the with them to work on my next book, which yes. is also quite explicit. Yes. <laughs> so <I'm> so excited. <laughs> so, it's like maybe a, like a little bit more so. Uh, I hope it like lands. And like you know, I was like, I'm gonna lay it all out there in the concept and like and like the sample pages. I was like, I'm doing these sample pages. Be- you know, when I was trying to pitch my comic, because like I want them to see like how it's going to be um, instead of, I don't want, because I just was like, I don't want a publisher. I don't want to sign up for this book with a publisher and then have this publisher be like, oh, you have to tone it down. And they were like, oh no, we like this. This is great. Um, yeah. And it's like one of the few editors that I've ever had a chance to work with that were like, don't, 
you know, don't tone it down, keep it going. We know, we know who you are is like, I think well, something that one of my editors has said to me when I was like questioning. Like we read your work. We know what we were we signing know. up for. There, I think uh, it was Charlotte. I think Charlotte was like, oh, I follow you on Instagram. I know. Like, <laughs> it's like Okay, great. Like, I've seen your Halloween pictures, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I know where we're going from here. Um, same, by the way. Delightful. Make sure yeah. you're following Archie on Instagram. It's a delight. I am fun on Instagram, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll rem- remind you at the end of the episode, but it's at baby wrist, mm. just FYI. Um, so mm-hmm. good, so good. I also noticed in Mimosa DJ Baby Wrist. I was like, I see you, Archie. I see you. <laughs> yes, That's absolutely. <laughs> the book is it's a little bit of a Trojan horse. Hear me out. So, you know, it okay. starts out as this like epic quest for the perfect party for older queer. <laughs> you know, and you're like, yes, sign me up. And then it turns into this super heartfelt, just dissolution of a friend group that is that is chosen family that is found family that is some combo of those two and you know trying to figure out what does it mean to be friends are we still going to be friends does the next part of our life include this friendship and they aren't ah sarah we're coming back to what you said before they aren't the same people they were when they were in their 20s change Mm -hmm. yeah you know you know each is hurting except maybe alex we're gonna have to have a whole separate conversation about alex uh and you know and each is you know neglecting to care for each other because of their own pain and frustration or distraction and it you know, it feels like a uniquely older queer narrative, and mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's on purpose. And 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 the question that keeps coming back to me is like, how do we age together? How do we how do we do this when you know my my uncle is a gay man in his 60s. He doesn't have a single friend from mm-hmm. his 20s or or yeah. 40s. You know, like he's been HIV positive since the early 90s, maybe the 80s, when it was a death sentence, as so many people at that at that time in San Francisco were, you know, and and I yeah. look at him like, wow, he really doesn't have those friends. And I don't think he'd be offended um, to, that I'd say this. And and I'm wondering, okay, how do we carry these friendships forward? What does it mean? And how do we let them go when we need to? So Archie, I guess I'm just saying, here are all my personal concerns. Could you please address them? <laughs> This was like a therapy session. Oh my God. You're the therapist. So surprise. I know. This is a this is a turn. Um, I'm like, we're gonna start real light. Why is it hard to be alive? Go on. I think I think like when you talk about your uncle, it is like this is this is true. Like I think if you are an older queer person who is around like your uncle's age the growing up was so different, you know, or like your friendships are so different because they were wiped out or drastically shifted because of the AIDS epidemic. And, and, um, and I think queers who are in like our forties, um, are now aging without like, you know, one without a heterosexual, you know, we're, we're without, without a heteronormative script, you know, um, where it looks different than our straight counterparts. And we don't necessarily have, um, you know, the generations before us of queer folks grew up in such a different time with, the, you know, different circumstances. Um, 
that we can't necessarily like see ourselves reflected in them because we haven't lost, you know, hopefully, you know, haven't lost the majority of our friends to HIV. Um, and so, you know, so I, I think it is like, there's like so much to explore um, because I think a lot of us are doing it, you know, for the first time, you know, obviously you age for the first time, the first time you age, but like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, trying to figure out a way to do it in a way, you know, that doesn't look like, you know, the older queers and definitely doesn't look like our parents, our straight parents generation, just because also like the financial climate is so different. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about, yeah, as far as kind of letting go of friendships or what you were talking about a little bit, Essie, where it's like, yeah, sometimes people really do grow apart. And it's in this really interesting way where it is so subtle. And I think that that's kind of like the weight, right? Like there's a lot of weight to that in Mimosa because it is in some ways like very tragic. Sometimes it's like kind of what has to happen. So it's not, you know, it's like you're going into new steps of your life or something like Mm -hmm. that. But it is kind of a fascinating thing to see kind of hashed out in a comic because it's one of those comics where you read and you're like, oh, this is like, yeah, one of the only stories like this for like multiple reasons. (laughs) But (laughs) You know, it's like because it's like aging in comics. That's like not a thing. Right. Like there's no like it's so like comics is there's such a like dearth of like anything that explores aging. It's like, sure, things will explore like the nature of death and resurrection or something like that. Or, you know, Bruce Wayne will like sometimes look like maybe he's 30. Right. (laughs) After like 80 years of storytelling. And there's just a lot of that, you know, not just in superhero comics, though, because if you're reading a lot of like independent comics, you it's like about young people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there is like for queer people like that kind of compounds how unique this is, I would say, because it's mm-hmm. like so rare. It's like, OK, Love and Rockets, I guess, is like our only other <laughs> example, right? Or like one of our only other examples of queer people aging. But um, yeah, I don't know. I was curious if you like thought about that because I I get that there's a part of this, obviously a strong part of this that is like, you know, based in your experiences. And then you have this idea of like, but also around you, there's all of this uh, industry that like refuses to recognize (laughs) aging kind of in general. Yeah. I think it's like part of it when I was like thinking of the story is like, I refuse to imagine that we you know, age out of being interesting, <laughs> yeah. or age out of, of making like, you know, like making mistakes or growing or um, like our lives, you know, after 40, after 50 become like in, not worth examining. Um, and I think it is like a thing that is in comics. And I think in, in, in the majority, not all, like a lot of queer representation you know, can tend to skew young in general too. Um, so it is like, yeah, it was like on my mind. But I also was just like, I want my comic characters to age with me. Like, I don't want to keep drawing characters in their mid-20s. Right. Um, I want to draw characters who have some aspects of their either themselves, their identity, their lives, like solidified, even though that doesn't mean like, you know, they can't grow and change. But um yeah, I want to. I want to draw people that look like me and my friend group, and represent what my friend group looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's good that it changes, right? That's kind of whenever I say that I was like thrilled to turn forty. I'm always it's like people crack up because it's funny, but it's also 
true because it's like, you have no idea. It's been like, there's so many things that have happened in, you know, my life or whatever. And then you make it to 40 and you're like, great job, Sarah Century. <laughs> like have a cigar. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you've made it through. Yeah. And it's like, you have more to go, but that means that like the person, cause it's like, I look at the person I am now and then I look at 10 years ago and it's just like, those are two different people. The things mm-hmm. that I cared about were different. The people who were, you know, some of, of the same people, obviously, but I was in like a different state, a different social group. Like there's a lot of change that you kind of have to accept. And I think too, like, you know, in queer communities, which can often be kind of changing and evolving, there's that as well. But it's just like, I don't know. It's an interesting thing just to see sort of hashed out because it's <laughs> like truly a very rare yeah. thing to see in a way that's just kind of funny. But I I appreciate it because it's like, even if you have like, you know, elderly characters or something like that, it's like in comics, in superhero comics, they'll just like de-age them so that they can be hot. Like while the story's <laughs> happening and it's like, that sucks. Like that sucks so bad. Like just let them get old. Like it's awesome yeah. when people get old. There's something great about that. And as you say, I refuse to believe that that doesn't, that we don't stop being interesting. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, try to talk to like a 60 year old queer person sometime. You're going to get some information that you did not have before, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, I I agree with this. And I'm glad that I did read this because it was, I believe I read it like maybe not even a month after I turned 40 and I was like cracking up just like what an interestingly like timely book to get. (laughs) (laughs) Mwah. I didn't plan this on purpose. Mwah. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I did. I was like, you know whose opinion I need on this book? Sarah fucking Century. Uh, yes. Yeah, like, exactly, right? I was like, we got to talk about it. You know, I, there's just so much to do. I, I think that's why I wanted to start with talking about, like, you know, this is sort of, well, start, we're like, what, 47 minutes into the episode. Um, I wanted to continue with talking about Mimosa, with talking about age, because it is so important. And I think it's why it resonates so deeply with me is is I'm 37 and I love I I love all kinds of if it's queer I'm fucking in you know what I mean like I watched mm-hmm. Steven Universe saw the reference loved it you know I'm like all I'm all over you know I'm I'm doing the whole thing I'm like oh this horror film that's very queer I'm in you know I'm like oh ugh, that's horrible I love it uh you know like the whole thing I love all of the pieces but there is an in I don't know if I want to put my money on this phrase, but I'm going to say it. If we all hate it, we'll ask Kate to cut it. But there is a little (laughs) bit of like an infantilization of queer people and trans people through this sort of perpetual representation as young. And Mm -hmm. that, I think it keeps us from growing. I think it keeps us from growing in our consciousness and in our demands, frankly, from our society. We are almost always, it feels like reinventing the wheel because we don't have that always that cross-generational, like we were talking about with Yes, I'm Flagging. We don't have, you know, someone who's 20 years older than me going, oh, flagging, let me break it down for you. You know, I didn't have that at 17. <laughs> I didn't have someone who was doing that. Or, you know, I wasn't around people who were flagging and picking it up in maybe a more organic way. And I think that we have to sort of, God, this is a very common term right now, but I hope you'll forgive it to me. You know, we have mm-hmm. to kind of reparent ourselves. We have to become mm-hmm. the people who say, like, I'm going to be the queer parent I fucking deserved. You know what I mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. teach myself the history someone should have fucking taught me. And, and I'm going to 
decide who I want to be in that process. I'm going to create And hype yourself up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Be like, I love you. I'm your dad now when you're like looking in the mirror. Yes. Sarah is my dad personally, but yes, you know, (laughs) pick a dad, go with it. Um, Don't worry. I'm other people's dad. Don't worry. We're all dadding each other. We're going to just spread it out. Um, (laughs) And I, I think there's just, it's such a, it's such a fraught thing because it's sad in some ways. It's sad that mm-hmm. that queerness is so we're so isolated because of our our queerness. But I think it's also fucking beautiful that that means that the other side of that coin is that connections just it's it's a reach. We just have to reach for mm-hmm. each other. And and yeah. that's that's what I love about Mimosa because Mimosa is in part at least about making mistakes, fun ones, sad mm-hmm. ones, cruel ones. And 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 they're so important to the book and to my personal life. You know, I'm always <laughs> fucking something up because I'm a human. And you know, we right. see these characters that we've grown to love. They hurt themselves. They hurt each other. And your the challenge of Mimosa is to hold them in that humanity. It's beautiful and profound, especially because seeing that they're human doesn't excuse the choices. They're still mm-hmm. hurting each other, and they're still responsible for it. You know, I, I'm thinking particularly of Chris and Elise right now when I mm-hmm. when I say this, and now they they most reconcile after hurting each other pretty intensely. And and I'm curious, you know, when when you think about mimosa and when you think about mistakes and relationships, is there something you're saying in mimosa about that? Is there something you want to explore specifically? I'm I'm curious about mistakes, you know, meaning making. Like how do we how do you know we're gonna fuck up? That's part of the human contract. Like how? And then what do we do next? You know, like what what were you mm-hmm. wanting to explore there? Yeah, I think that like what do we do next is really what I wanted to kind of like get into with these characters. And also like these characters, their chosen family. Um, and I think one of the aspects of family is that we we take family for granted. And the people that we are the closest to are the people that we hurt the most or that we feel the most comfortable hurting because we assume that they'll come back. Or, um, you know, and frequently, like, I think what makes, like, a strong, continuous chosen family is that um, the hard process of sticking around and, like, recognizing that you hurt someone and someone hurt you and, like, now how do we move past it? Or how do we incorporate that into the fabrication of, you know, the fabric of our palship? Um, And I think think one of the things I wanted to explore is, is like we make mistakes and sometimes these mistakes are really big and they have like consequences (laughs) and um, how those consequences are kind of like felt in the queer community. And so part of it is like, yes, like these, these people like interact with each other and they have consequences with each other and with themselves. Um, And also with their community at large, I think about, you know, when I think about Chris, who had this like public, you know, kind of public breakout or breakup that folks like, you know, they they feel separated from their queer community. Um, I think when it comes to queerness, when we make mistakes in the queer community, it can become very like just like really intense really quickly, depending well, on yeah, who, small community yeah. can be very public. Small, like that gets mm-hmm. that yes, gets it can get I've really been, messy. Been there. I've sure been there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I think part of it is like if you're in a community long enough, as you said, I'm a human, so I make mistakes. If you're in a community long enough, you're going to make a mistake either with the community at large or like with individuals. And I think it is inevitable. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is something that I think is not necessarily explored to the deep depth that it could be, which is why I'm like, you know, I think um, the biggest, one of the biggest aspects of creating community of creating and keeping chosen family, keeping in community is the ability to show up like Mm. over and over again, even when it's embarrassing or hard. Mm. um, Or you're mad at them. Or or you're mad. Yes, you're mad or um, someone's mad at you. Um, And it, and that the power that comes from like staying and sticking around Mm. um, is, is like it's hard, um, but that's like it's literally how you stay in a community, and then you all become stronger afterwards, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, you don't have to stick around. <laughs> that's also exactly the other not. part. Is like yeah, you, exactly. you could pop you out, and like, and that could be really good for you, and really good for the community, or it could be, you know, it could be something that you might regret, or something that, um, you know, like it, that also has like different aspects to explore. Mm. Yeah, I have written down chosen family takes work. You know, over Mm -hmm. and over again, Mimosa explores that and says, you know, this is a person reaching out, asking for help, a bid, you know, Chris's birthday, Mm -hmm. Joe's performance. Like there's so many moments where different characters are reaching and and the others don't reach back. And and that Mm -hmm. is, it's so important going back to what you were saying, specifically because as queer, trans, and intersex people, we often have fucked up models of what family are. And so we're we're applying a model that didn't serve us, doesn't serve us, will never serve mm-hmm. us. And we're doing some of the same mistakes in some places, taking people for granted, not seeing what an emergency is, you know, having a hard time being like, oh, is my thing as big of an emergency as it feels like? Or is it maybe not as big of a thing and that person's is? Honestly, one of the hardest things to navigate, I think, in in mature relationships is like, I'm in pain. What do you mean you're in pain? But I'm in pain. You can't also be in pain because then if we're both in pain, (laughs) who's comforting anyone? And it's like, yes, welcome to life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like we have to have we have to figure out how to make space for both of it, you know, simultaneously. Exactly. How how do we and you know, I was curious if you had thoughts of that. Like how like what does it mean to care for one another? How do we mm. reach back from a from a place of pain? Yeah. Yeah. I think like um I think in I don't think there is like necessarily like one way to do it. And I think the characters in the book kind of like try different methods and like some things you can just like you you know, you hurt someone, you, you you mess up or like you're hurt. You make a, you make a fucking joke about it and then you move on, you know, like it can even, you can, you can do, it can be something like as simple as that or like something much more intentional, um, as a way of like, again, like showing up. Um, I think, I think care can look, you know, a variety of different ways, but I think one of the biggest ways for, people to care for each other and you know in in mimosa is prevalent is like to actually like physically show up in in front of another human being like a a text check-in is great but also like being able to like show up at someone's house or at their event or um you know come over when they're having a bad day like i think physically showing up is like the number one 
way to care for another person. Well, hello there, listeners. It's me, your beloved Essie, back to tell you about something that maybe you don't know about yet that you might want to take advantage of. Did you know we're active over on Patreon? We're at a new address. It's patreon.com slash queerspec. If you go to patreon.com slash bitches on comics, it still redirects there for the time being. But we're at patreon.com slash queerspec. And we have just uh, so many episodes. We have over a hundred back episodes and we're constantly coming out with new stuff. We have these amazing conversations where Priya, our editorial coordinator, and Sarah Sentry, one of our hosts, sit down and talk about the Phoenix Saga. <laughs> they call these episodes the Bitches of X. They are fucking incredible, and I hope you will tune in. You also typically get early access to our episodes each week and other fun stuff. We've done Christmas bonuses. We do interviews that are only available on our Patreon. We provide all the inside scoops before you even know you need them. The whole shebang. We hope you'll join us there. Again, it's patreon.com slash queerspec. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I was thinking, too, because it's like, yeah, I guess there is that thing, that feeling of like, you can let go of some things, you know, and other things, maybe not as much. And, mm -hmm. the, you know, it's a dance. It's a fun dance. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, I, I like to kind of to read it just like the complicated nature of relationships, right? Like, that's something that I believe we're basically talking about through all of the questions <laughs> and all of the yeah. conversation is like how... It is complicated. Some things you, you know, it's like you know that you're both changing or you're all changing, like as happens here, right? It's like there's mm -hmm. changes happening, changes afoot. And, you know, it's like that means you have to prioritize yourself sometimes, right? And then it's like, but also... That doesn't mean don't like that doesn't mean stop prioritizing everybody else too. <laughs> like yeah. you have to prioritize yourself, but it's like there I do believe that there is a way to care about everything <laughs> at the same time. Because I feel like often enough I'm just like, I care about this and I care about this and I care about that. But then it, you kind of have to drop certain things sometimes and be like, maybe that's actually not that big of a deal to me right now. I'm talking about deadlines right now specifically yeah. and be like, you know what? I Maybe that's not what I can focus my time on. And like, I do have to focus on, you know, getting it together, trying to like make everything kind of go. And mm -hmm. that is why it's complicated. I think is, is that like, 
I do think people should prioritize themselves, you know, if they're going yeah. through a hard time. Like, that's the most natural thing and you should do it. You shouldn't fight that. Like, I don't think. But it doesn't mean being like, and now I never respond to your text again or something like that. Like, there can be like a, hopefully a balance that's stri- stricken, struck, stressed. Yeah. <laughs> whichever word that you're supposed to use at the end of that. I'm a writer. I'm a professional writer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just so everybody knows. Listen, if, 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 if a requirement of being a writer is knowing what word to use in that scenario, I am not going to make the cut. I'm sorry. I'm like an editor. I edit people's books for a living, and I'm like, I couldn't tell you. I Google that shit every time. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the fading friendships, the complication of people's friendships and like all of this, you know, it's it's truly what makes Mimosa great. It's what made Grease Bats great, but mm-hmm. it's also this kind of new world that I, I love to see. Like, I love to see how you've kind of evolved in this way. And I don't even want to say evolved because I don't know, you know, it's like this might have always been on your mind, right? But it's like, it's nice to be able to be like, cool, long form, <laughs> like, yes. let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah, I think if there was like an opportunity while I was drawing grease bats to draw grease bats in the form, this kind of form, I would have. And I would have like relished and loved it. It just like wasn't (laughs) a thing I could figure out at the time. (laughs) Yeah, it was good that you did one first then, I guess, because that's Mm -hmm. that's how it works sometimes, right? I wanted to say about Minneapolis, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, I don't know how long you've lived in Minneapolis. Has it been a very long time? God, maybe like 10 years now. Nine years? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I saw like a review that I I really appreciate. Like it's a great, well-written and it said, but it said one thing that I respectfully disagree with, which was that this is Minneapolis, but it could easily double for like, you know, Portland or something like that. And I was like, respectfully disagree (laughs) because (laughs) having been to both of those cities, this is a Minneapolis story, I think Mm -hmm. personally. But I don't want to impose that on you. I would like to ask some questions. Like, yeah, do you feel the same way? And if so, like, how do you feel that Minneapolis shaped the story? Yeah. Well, I definitely, like, is based on, like, I would say a fictionalized Minneapolis. Um, right. I, I took um, a lot of the experiences, you know, not just, like, in the settings, because you can, there, you know, the buildings and the places that my characters exist in actually exist here in Minneapolis. Um, they're all real places. Um, but I part of the experience and, and these characters, they create like a dance night called Grind. I co-created a dance night for a while, like a queer variety show called Daddy that took place at the same bar where they have there. So that was like a big aspect and a big inspiration um, of, of Mimosa in general too. Um, and I think part of what makes it, you know, a Minneapolis story is it's this, there are queer, lots of queers here, um, but there isn't necessarily the same, like, resources or spaces that exist in, like, larger queer cities. Um, Mm -hmm. and I do say it's, like, fictionalized because I think Minneapolis is, like, such an active city and it does have, like, a pretty thriving queer scene, queer community. There are multiple different gay things you could do every week. So there's like a nice variety, which doesn't necessarily exist or is shown in this book. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Where, well, they're like, we have to make a space. But one of the cool things about Minneapolis is that if you want to make a thing happen, you can do it. Like, it's not yeah. that hard. <laughs> there are spaces and people who are willing to like, this is what I mean, like an active city. There are spaces and people who are like, oh yeah, let's make this happen. You can go, yeah. you, can, you can just like email a venue and they're like, hell yeah, you know. Um, There's a very active art scene in yes. Minneapolis that I believe personally is unique to Minneapolis mm-hmm. because as you say, it doesn't have the resources of, for instance, some uh, like a larger city or, you know, one that's like more on the map. I, I don't know how to mm-hmm. even say that, but um, basically like just the fact that because that lack of resources does exist, I think yeah. that Minneapolis therefore almost intrinsically becomes one of the most interesting art cities in the world yeah. because it has beautiful museums. It has a free museum, which is like everything to me and I think should be like just how museums operate, yeah. right? But it's it, it's kind of fascinating because after spending like $25 every time I went to like the Denver Art Museum for like years, you know, going to Minneapolis and being like, I can just go hang out and look at art and it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg. Like yes. I, can get, I can now afford to go drink a coffee while I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Just like that kind of vibe of Minneapolis is really what I loved about it while I was there. Yeah. And I, I also too... To your point, uh, not to say that it's like a universal Minneapolis story, right? Because there is no universal mm-hmm. Minneapolis story. And like, you know, I yeah, for sure. But being there for the time that I was, I really appreciated that. And maybe it's that feeling that I get whenever I read Mimosa, where it's like people are making things happen in a way that can probably seem kind of magical for people. You know, I know whenever I lived in like a small town or something, you know, as a teenager, I never would have believed, oh, you can just call a venue and mm-hmm. <laughs> like put on a show. Yeah. Like it just, it was something I had to learn. So, and it sounds the same for you, but I'd love to hear more about that. Like, yeah, I think what makes, I do think that, and this is probably fairly unique to Minneapolis. Is it's such a do like a DIY city. It is yeah. like, People, like, they truly know how to, like, do it themselves. And they know how to, like, create and cultivate spaces that are unique and different and varied and some and specific to the groups that they're trying to target and they're, they're, that they're trying to, like, either uplift or showcase. Um, and I think that is truly, like, my experience in this city. Like, I... Yeah, moved here. I lived here for a couple of years, and then I was like, "Gosh, I need some queer friends." I don't really, I don't really have any, so I was able to join. Um, I joined a place called Bone Shaker Books, which is like a volunteer-run bookstore. Like again, like do it yourself, and they have like a meeting space, and they're like, you can anyone can use this space for free, and so I was like, "Oh, I'll start like a queer book club," and that is like how I met the majority of my friends. Was like, it's like, oh, if I start this book club, then maybe I can meet meet a person or two and that is true and that's like how it happened and then from there um like I was able to like meet and join like art collectives and like put on art shows um you know put on this like queer variety dance night that happened for like a year and a half um put on like zine fests or you know helped participate in zine fests and and comic events um Mm-hmm. They do have a top-notch uh, zine fest in Minneapolis. Congrats yes. to everybody who puts that on because I know that yeah. that's a lot of work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also like, you know, weird gay pop-ups and like parties yeah. too. Like there was recently like oil wrestling that just happened in this like empty lot 
off like a kind of a main street and like like a ton of people came and it was like such a fun cool event that like I was like you know I I think in a different city this would totally not be allowed yeah yeah (laughs) this one it could kind of play on like fly (laughs) under the radar in a really cool way um I did like a weird like one woman show one time like years yes. ago where it was like a musical thing. And I got to say like Minneapolis had absolutely, first of all, it was the easiest to book. And second of all, like the people laughed at every joke that wasn't true in every town because <laughs> it was a lot of like very like, you know, uh, um, isolated lesbian going through a breakup jokes. Right. So it's morbid, yes. but it's funny. And like um, Minneapolis loved it. Minneapolis was just yeah. like, yeah, I'm not surprised. Well, I think it's also like uh, you can't have a do it yourself culture without people who are going to like show up. Yeah. I've seen great stuff there. It takes yeah. some people to do it and then people to participate and to to come to the events. And I think that's also, you know, when I say like it's an active city, it's like active and not just like the people and what they create here, but also active and like the way that people show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I like that too, is like there will be a house party and the vibes will be good. And for somebody who lived in Denver for a long time, I got to say, <laughs> not to drag Denver. Denver again and again in this call, but like, honestly, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Amazing I, house parties here. There are some Pop great notch. house parties. I went to a house party that I was supposed to perform at last year. It was like basically during a tornado, a tornado oh, happened God. out of the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so the power got knocked out and I didn't end up performing. But one guy was like, oh, I could do it just playing these songs on my iPod and just dance around and scream a bunch. And <laughs> people were like still at the show during a tornado and uh, were like, yes, yes, yes. And having a great time. <laughs> And I was just like, honestly, like, yeah, quintessential, it feels like Minneapolis story Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. every time it like, yeah, I'm not saying like, you know, that it's like a perfect place to live because there was a lot of problems while I was there for sure. But it's also just like, honestly, I, I love the spirit of the city and I feel like the spirit of the city does make its way into Mimosa. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Great. That's what I wanted. (laughs) Essie, did you have more questions about Mimosa? Because I wanted to ask a little bit about Patreon now. Okay, but I I do have more. So back off, Sarah. Just kidding. Oh, I got it. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, Okay, okay. So (sighs) distractions. I want to talk about distractions. Distractions are Mm -hmm. so important to Mimosa, right? Like at the opening, pretty much, well, not everyone, but... A handful, well, there are only so many characters. Some of them <laughs> are experience, are doing, you know, they're doing something other than they should, quote unquote, be. Uh-huh. So Chris is writing erotica instead of their parenting blog. Elise is breaking magic wands and pining over her hot boss instead of focusing on a promotion. Joe is on task. Joe is like, I am busy with Queer Rock Camp. That is what I'm doing. I am reliable. I am as true as the sun. And you're like, you are, Joe. And then Alex is just literally distraction in the shape of a human being. Just just is a ball of distraction. Now, you sort of, you play with distraction in sort of some some different directions. I'm not going to say two directions. I'm going to say some different. Mm -hmm. Um, Pleasure. So distraction being connected to pleasure and, and sort of following distraction, but then, you know, distraction also being connected or counter 
to meaning making. Counter's not right, but let's say counterbalanced with meaning making. You got to find the right amount. They're all caught up together in the graphic novel, I guess. And, you know, in, and also, again, this is back to therapy. In my personal life, these are also all very much intertwined. Mm-hmm. I am still grappling with a relatively recent uh, ADHD diagnosis. And I am mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. my God, that explains so many things. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. Fucked up. Um, but I'm curious, you know, what is distraction doing in Mimosa? And like, what, what it's not, I, I just, I don't think everybody's having distraction be an important piece of their storytelling, but it is an important piece of my specific life. And I'm curious why you wanted to play with that aspect. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think it's, I think it's just kind of like a human condition <laughs> is to at times like, one, I think the balance is always a, a challenge of um, kind of like, you know, following pleasure, um, which can feel really good and is necessary as a human. Um, and at times that is a distraction from your other relationships or your needs or what you should be like working on or doing. Um, so I think that balance is like really hard and fluctuates and is like kind of like fun. It's like a very fun place as like an author to like explore. Um, I also, I think distractions, um, I think for some of the characters, some of the distractions that they face are like almost like red herrings from what maybe actually needs to be addressed. Um, So we'll we'll use like, um, we'll use Chris as like an example. Chris is not writing, is writing erotica instead of writing for, you know, their blog. And they're like trying to go out and like meet people and like go on dates and stuff like this. And, and like, these are, you know, those are Chris's like distractions, but they're really um, like, those distractions aren't, are, are not like the real problems in Chris's life. Chris's life is, is, you know, what Chris needs is, is, um, community and like kind of like focusing on like creating it and and balancing it with their responsibilities. Um, so I think of you know that kind of like push pull and also like what this character thinks they need isn't necessarily what they need. Um, and I and you mentioned like Joe kind of like being on task and and I think that's like a really good point. Joe does stay pretty much on task, but Joe doesn't have Joe has higher stakes and higher risks than some of these other characters do. Exactly. Just from the nature of, like, who she is, um, not just as, like, a, a, a Black trans dyke, but also um, financially, you know? She's, like, she can't fuck around and mess up on one of her jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, she doesn't really have, like, the luxury of being able to be distracted mm-hmm. in some aspects. Well, I'm so glad we're talking about Joe. I, you may have had more to say, but I'm just going to jump right in and, and we'll, we'll go yeah, back go to ahead. it because distraction. Um, but, you know, with Joe, you know, she's such an important part of the narrative because, as you say, she's a, a black trans dyke. She's a musician. Mm-hmm. She's an instructor. She's stable and solid, not maybe because that's like her quality of character, but because she has to be, as as you pointed out. But she's also dealing with a series of crises through the narrative. And at the same time, when you know, we all would hope like, oh, your friends rally around you when you're going through a crisis. Mm -hmm. She reaches out repeatedly and people ignore her texts. They, she'll say something and they'll just 
not even address what she said and go back to talking about a party or tits or whatever the conversation is at that moment. And she ends up feeling mm-hmm. really neglected. I'm curious, you know, I, I'm I'm hearing that part of what you're exploring with with Joe is that life is not the sa- equally the same for all queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, black mm-hmm. trans women experience much more violence, uh, much more poverty, uh, mo- many more comor- comorbidities. We, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And so that, it seems like that's an important piece of of what's being explored here, especially in a place like Minneapolis that is. There are lots of black people and it's still like a fucking police state, right? Like the, it's not, there's no perfect place. We know this, but I guess I'm just curious, you know, what else is, is Joe doing? You know, I felt so drawn to her and, and her, Mm -hmm. her frustration and her, her both experience of isolation, but then also her like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to take some space because I don't need this. Right. What was she for you? Like what, what parts were you Mm -hmm pulling on at different points. Yeah. So I, like, when I was like concepting um, Joe as a character, I was like, oh, I want, I have to have a character who is representative of like so many people I know who are in their thirties who are hella talented, multifaceted, and have like this wide variety of skill sets and yet cannot find like one stable job <laughs> to hire them. Um it felt really important to like draw a character who, you know, I think is like a lot of like probably like millennials have this aspect where like they are so smart, so talented and, and, you know, have like a wide variety of experiences on like a resume, but um, stability is not accessible um, for like, you know, a variety of reasons, but um so that was like kind of like where she sort of started was like, I want this character who is doing a lot of different things and is smart and capable and also like just can't catch a fucking break. I also wanted, you know, when I was drawing her, I wanted her to like love kids mm-hmm. and be really invested in in children and queer youth and also have this like aspect of her, um, you know, being like an adult performer. Um, because I think that is also very representative of like a lot of queers. Like if you work with youth, uh, the rest of your life will be judged if if Absolutely. folks find out. And so to be a sexual person who, you know, or or you know, a performative sexual person and to work with kids is like a really dangerous place for anyone, mm. any queer person to be in. Um, and that was like inspired by like some teachers I know who like, you know, like can't, they, there are passions they can't follow because of like their profession. Um, and it's just mm-hmm. like doubly shown and that, and that, you know, does play out in the book. Um, so part of what I wanted to draw with her was that kind of that those split desire, split needs and, um, the push and pull of those, uh, and yeah, she is, you know, throughout this book, she is like kind of like neglected by her friends. They don't show up for her the same way that maybe they show up for each other. Um, and she does have this like chance and this ability to be like, okay, I think I can maybe make like, if I've, you know, I think she's one of the people with like the most self-aware to be like, yeah. oh, have I actually like outgrown them? Yeah, I think that maybe I have um, and can actually do something about it. 
Well, we don't we don't follow her very far into the the story as it unfolds from there, but we get to see mm-hmm. her at least it seems implied partnered with another black woman. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, you know, from what I understand of lots of folks who are are black, is there's so much healing in a relationship with someone else who's black who understands mm-hmm. experiences that like as three white people, like we have no fucking clue, right? Like there's yeah. things we'll never empathize with. So, you know, there's just, it felt, it felt really nice that she gets that opportunity to heal in a way that, like, you don't even have to explore because it's, like, her life, right? Like, she gets to go right. do that and yeah. you don't have to be a white person telling us what that looks like or, you know, whatever. <laughs> it could be tempting, but no, like, yes. no, let her go do her healing yeah. in a way we don't even get to, like, see. But we know it's there. We get to see glimmers of it. Yeah, you know, they're in, the, in, in Mimosa, like, they're, friendship is sort of stagnant. Mm. Um, like where they are, the conversations they're having is like stagnant and Joe is ready for more too. So I think that it's, yeah. you know, you're right. It's implied. You also see it when she makes the choice. This is a spoiler, but you know, you see it also when she makes the choice to go to the book club. Like yes. she's like, I am choosing to have different conversations <laughs> yes. than I have been having. I hadn't even fully connected that, Archie, because you're right. There is, like, mm-hmm. throughout the conversation, she's like, do you ever talk about anything but fucking and aging? And, and yes. you're absolutely correct. She's she's so ready for more. And that's mm-hmm. that's what she creates for herself. And it's 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 really, really beautiful. And, and you know, and, and of course, this is, like, my way. I'm also going to, like, now reverse into talking about, because we can't, we can't leave without talking about Alex. Oh, Alex, Alex, Alex. Oh, Alex. <laughs> This guy, man, this fucking guy, this fucking guy. So uh, Alex is a a trust fund kid who's white and trans and honestly represents like the worst of white queerness. Just fucking, God damn it. We're all white. Why are we like this? We can do another episode like that later. Uh, But, you know, he's more concerned with with, like by lighting than he is with the plights of his friends. Um, And, you know, then he sort of, casually reveals he has plenty of money after he's been mooching Mm -hmm. off of everyone, including Joe, for years. Like, Mm -hmm. as recently as, like, Joe's like, I bought you coffee yesterday. Yes. And it's this this heartbreaking moment. You just see it on Joe's face. Alex tries to just kind of breeze through it and be like, well, you can't imagine what it's like to be judged. (laughs) Yeah. Joe is like, (laughs) oh, no, you did not. And and honestly, it's his deceit is what I, I would say sort of breaks open the crack that was already in the friendship, right? We're not gonna pretend that everything mm-hmm. was hunky dory till that moment. But that reveal, that that shocking moment of like I was camming to pay for my transition. And mm-hmm. Alex has the audacity to say, You like it. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe Joe yeah. didn't slap Alex. I might have slapped him. <laughs> <laughs> like, glad I wasn't there, buddy. Um, you know, and, and that is, it's so important because no one's really quite the same from that moment. And, yeah. you know, I think it's real. I think we have to grapple with with what, what, what it looks like to have people with extreme wealth in queer communities who, mm-hmm. you know, we're not, it's not like we get a playing card for each person that's like, this person's worth the money. This person does this, mm-hmm. whatever the thing is. But it's a reality and we have to, we have to live with that. And I guess I'm just curious, yeah. you know, obviously Alex isn't, the problem isn't that Alex has money, although there might be a problem there. No one's like, Alex, you're a piece of shit for having money. They're like, Alex, you're a fucking piece of shit for fucking lying. Like you lie yeah. to your friends. Mm-hmm. We're your closest friends and you've been living a lie this whole time. Like that mm-hmm. is the problem. 
Um, but I'm curious for you why this, you know, I don't see this scenario coming up a lot in in comics and and even in any sort of cultural stuff around LGBTQ plus folks of like, how do we talk about it when we're not the same? That's the chosen family thing, right? Like we yeah. are so different and we come together and and how do we how do we live that? So I don't know. I guess I was just curious why you chose that narrative specifically and and yeah. you know, any other thoughts you have, obviously. Yeah, I I think um Part of it is like, I can't draw this like, uh, class is a big part of Mimosa, like where these characters are financially, like actually like affects their life, you know, like Chris and Elise have to be roommates so Chris can afford to like live with their kid, you know, like uh, that's the reason that Joe has these jobs um, and class plays such a huge role in their lives and their decisions. And we, I wanted a character, Alex, who didn't necessarily have the same weight when having to make those kind of choices. Um, and I think, you know, you're right. It's not that Alex, you know, has money. It's that Alex lied <laughs> about it um, and kept it from their friends. And also I think the biggest part of it all is that Alex doesn't stay. And this goes back to kind of like keeping community is that like Alex, and this is a huge spoiler, obviously, but like Alex bops out of the city entirely instead of staying and working through these like hard emotions and like kind of like hard truths that um, were revealed. And I think that speaks, uh, you know, the most to like this person's character is that also, and also, you know, where they are in the world is that they have the ability to just bop out, uh, which is a privilege. Um, and yeah, it's not something I see a lot in in books about queer friendship. Um, but I and and I think it but I think it's like such a thing in our like day-to-day lives. Like it affects like classes 1000 percent Like it affects like who we hang out with, who we date, or and how we interact as like a community at large. Um, not necessarily always like detrimentally. But um, yeah, yeah, it's like if it's a thing in our day to day, why isn't it being reflected in our comics? Also? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know what? It's I'm so glad you pointed it out because it didn't it almost didn't stand out to me because I assume a class analysis coming from you, you know, like I've read your other work. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like a baseline in my mind of like, oh, we're going to talk about class. But you're right. I mean, that is, it's such a huge part of how we interact and what we have access to do, what mm-hmm. a queer lifestyle looks like, right? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't look the same to everyone. And we're not all going to Fire Island. We don't all live in San Francisco. You know, there are limitations that we have based on what really truly is financially within our reach. And that's, yeah. it's important to talk about. I don't think it's going to help anybody not to. Right, right. Yeah. And like, I think also it's like how you know, Alex, you know, controlled how he was perceived mm. by keeping this a lie, you know, by keeping this a secret. Mm. Um, so it's a little bit also, you know, about there's like a lot of fraud. <laughs> yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> Love that you use the word fraud. That's exactly fucking mm. right. Well, Mimosa is incredible. I, I, the, I, I told you before we started recording. I was reading it. I was in a position where I was not around a lot of queer people, and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm mm-hmm. gonna disappear into queerness. And it was such a bomb. I actually made made someone make me a mimosa. <laughs> 
because I was like, I have to drink a mimosa while I finish oh, mimosa. Yes. And it was just, so good. There was like just this moment of transcendent joy, especially when, <laughs> when like Chris and Joe were like, of course he did about Alex moving to Portland. Like that's so funny. There's just like, and there's like that sweet, <laughs> almost like sweet forgiveness of like seeing someone you used to be really close with and have been really mad at, but the, the anger is gone. And and just yes. that like, sweet resolution of like, oh, that we used to be friends. Woo! Archie! Yes. Damn! Yes. That's some good shit. So thank, thank <laughs> you. I fucking love Mimosa. I'm so fucking happy. I'm so glad you were able to come. Oh, I know Sarah has questions about Patreon, but I just had to say like, whew, Mimosa, get out of here. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for the next one. Oh my God. I can't believe yes. you're going to do an even, yes. even more explicit one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do have a question for a picture. <laughs> I also agree. I'm just like echoing that silently as I tend to do. Like, I'll just like move on and then I'm just like, wait, you should have said. <laughs> like, yes, yes, it is so good. I loved reading this book. And yeah, it put me in in the mind of so many things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like oh. one of those things where you're like reading it and you're just like, that reminds me of this situation. And that reminds me of this other situation. <laughs> and like, this is kind of like this other situation. So it it felt like I had lived some of these moments myself. And, you know, so thanks for reflecting, yeah. I guess, that part, the, the difficult parts. Um, but I did want to ask about Patreon because you've had a Patreon for a while mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Having like those subscription services and stuff for, I just think it's huge for a lot of creators. Obviously, like we have one, you know, every, every person should have one, I guess. <laughs> like every creator should have one, in my humble opinion, maybe not specifically Patreon, but some kind of subscription mm-hmm. service where like they can kind of connect with people. I wanted to ask what Patreon does specifically for you. Like what is there a part of that for you as a creator where you get to kind of share a different part? Or if, um, yeah, basically just a little bit more about the Patreon, mm-hmm. I guess, before yeah. we wrap up. Because I know it's, yeah. they're, they're a ton of work, right? So it's like there you, you kind so of have to... so much work. <laughs> and it is like, sadly, not updated as often. as Not to, not to like undersell myself, but like it's not yeah. updated very often. But it does allow me a space to put like projects that will probably never see the light of day. <laughs> so like <laughs> ideas I'm concepting of, I'll post there. Things that I um, can't publicly share yet because they're, you know, it's in production um, under contract. I can, like, I'll put some preview pages and stuff like that there. Um, Patreon is where you'll see, like, the parts of the script or sketches and stuff like that for my upcoming book that I'm not going to post on my Instagram. Like, I think um, um, I like to share my art like that's the whole point so like if I can put it on like a public platform for free I will um so like Patreon's like a little bit you know of of the other things that I can't share yet um Mm -hmm. but also it's like a spot like for folks who are like oh I like that you my my hope is like for folks who are like oh I like that Archie posts like almost every like when I post art like I like that it's free I like that it's just like something I just put on my Instagram. So for me, Patreon is like, oh, if you like what I do, give me a buck, you know, or give me 12 bucks, you know, <laughs> a buck a month, 12 bucks. And that yeah, like, yeah, yeah. truly sustains um, my like livelihood. Um, books are great, you know, like I, I um, love, I love being a comic artist. I love doing what I do, but it is like a really 
hard financial game. Um, and mm-hmm. my goal is to create as much as I can, but to do that, I need like free time to create. Um, and so like Patreon utilizes like my, you know, it really does like assist in my ability to like draw comics for fun, draw things for fun because I want to, or, or draw zines that I maybe otherwise wouldn't necessarily have like time for. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Patreon is like as much as Patreon isn't anybody's like only job, right? Because <laughs> yeah. usually you don't make it quite enough to be a whole its whole job, but you have this ability to be like, cool, at least some of my bases are covered. And to me, that's been yes. a pretty huge thing in life, honestly. Um, it's huge. It's like, yeah. oh, cool. I don't have to like pay out of pocket for this part or like something mm-hmm. like that, you know? Yeah. All of those kind of things. It makes it a lot easier. So basically, you know what? Thanks, Patreon subscribers. Everyone who subscribes to the Patreon, thank yes. you so much. And also, you, you know, subscribe to Archie's Patreon, maybe. Yes, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> so if you love a creator, just find their Patreon yes. and subscribe to them, you know, for three months. You don't have to stick around. You can hop out. Like, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. You also, like, it doesn't have to be a lot. Like, I would rather yeah. lots of folks a dollar a month than, like, one person for, like, a, you know, 50 bucks for, like, one month you know like I don't know like I'd rather um to me it's just like more I'd rather to me like a dollar a month is like to me that symbolizes like oh this person just like likes my work you know which means a lot Mm -hmm. to me to like to like be able to see and tell tell it like yeah well and now there's the free tier which like I've been encouraging people because I'm like you'll Mm -hmm. at the very least you're gonna get notifications every time we have a new episode you're gonna get notifications every time yeah you might not be able to access everything we put on Patreon but like we put a lot of updates on there that we're not telling on Twitter on Instagram because now there's like 75 social media platforms you have to be on it's like listen I'm not I'm not sharing my thoughts on social media anymore it is a job okay (laughs) I'm logging in I am yeah. remembering what I'm doing. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not hanging mm-hmm. out. But on Patreon, you know, it's yeah. like we can be more casual, share things as they they come together. So I yeah. think, yeah, I think you're dead on, Archie. It's like, it's it's not just about the money, though. The money is very important. Honest to God, that's why we can still have the podcast is we have enough in mm-hmm. Patreon. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, so please don't, I'm not downplaying the money. Uh, please, if yeah. you have it, join Archie's Patreon, join ours. But if you don't, join at the free level, show the support. Yes. Talk about our work yeah. with other people. I think that's like, I don't know. I think being queer and trans, it's just and creative it's you're fighting so many battles that i don't think other people yes. like the algorithms straight up don't want you to find our podcast because it has the word bitch in it like straight up like yes we have to like like we, it's such a good name i'm sorry if you don't like it you're wrong it is such a good name for a podcast it is such a good name for a podcast <laughs> so good. and it has completely hobbled our outreach <laughs> You'll see people who put the name like Betches in their title and you're just like, I'm glad we didn't choose Betches. Although I got to say like apologies to to the Betches in the the crowd, but I was just thinking like, oh yeah, I'm glad we didn't do that. Yeah. I mean, it would be silly because we're talking about, well, you know, whatever, we're talking about all kinds of queer stuff. And so it's just kind of like maybe just like 
toss something in the title that lets people know that like we're gonna like let swears fly or yes, <laughs> like yes, whatever. Exactly, exactly. So I mean I think yeah any any way you can sort of remove a third party from between you mm-hmm. and a creator in a non-parasocial sense. But like that's a good <laughs> thing. It's good to be on a Patreon. It's good to sign up yeah. for a newsletter. It's good to do all those pieces because and Sarah, you've been so good about talking about this on your newsletter. I've been like really, I've been reading and taking notes. I'm like, I'm going to just copy and paste Sarah's newsletter into my newsletter. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Um, but you know, even talking about <laughs> You the- should. You should. If it works for you, people should. I want to be clear. Nothing I come up with is my own thing. It's 100% free for everybody. I'm saying like, if you need to plagiarize me, plagiarize me, especially when it comes to something like a template, just yes, do it. Truly. I just want to be clear. Like, this is a very funny conversation. But if anybody is like, oh, Sarah's idea is good I'm gonna do something like that please God you're like yes. take it do something with it. I might forget I might forget my idea and then it just goes away right just use as much <laughs> as you possibly can and especially you Essie I mean I, I steal from you all the time so. delightful <laughs> delightful yes because because you were saying you know there's the volatility of social media it's just mm-hmm. it's always been volatile it's always been like Twitter has been a hellscape for as long as I've been on it frankly uh yeah. and and that is real, but it is it is worse all the time. You know, this has just become such a censorship nightmare. It is it is, and so it's like you gotta you gotta yeah. connect with people. I always try and explain this to folks because I get it. Like I don't love getting a lot of emails either, but you don't even have to fucking read them all if you sign up for a newsletter. That's okay, right? Yeah, you're actually giving someone a lifetime platform, a lifetime mm-hmm. platform no one can take from them, and that's important. Mm -hmm. That's also what Patreon gives. It's like, these are opportunities to really invest in someone's work, their well-being, their happiness. Honestly, someone signs up for a dollar. Someone signs up for a dollar and I see that notification. I'm like, oh my God, Sarah, we did it. We did it, Joe. (laughs) We did it. You know, like every time. No, that's real. Every time somebody signs up for the Patreon, I'm just like, well, I suppose all my work's paying off. And I like kick back as if I just made a million dollars, even though it's like, yeah, it's just paying for the pod, right? Right. But I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, excellent, awesome. All right, to light up that cigar once again. Here we go. Yeah, I think, it, you know, like, we're just like, oh, every little bit helps. But it's true. It's like a little bit from a lot of people, like, does actually like change change how you can live or what you can produce or like the um, you know what you can put out so like yeah it does matter like it really so, does yeah. and it's it's like you know it's like anything right it's like one person marching down the street is jaywalking <laughs> 20,000 <Yes>. is a <laughs> movement right so it's like that's that's how i always try and think about it is i can't support all the patreons i love i can't support mm-hmm. all the people i love but i try really hard to make sure i'm you know paying it back artists give so much you give so much, Archie. You put so much oh, heart and soul in you. your work. And I feel it from, yes, I'm flagging. Oh, mm. my God. Some of that art, my God, so hot. Uh, <laughs> you know, to mimosa, to grease baths, to everything in between. It's like you can, it's so hard to quantify. Like, how do you pay someone for like, oh, um, how many nights did you not sleep trying to fix that plot point? Like, I don't know yeah. how to compensate you adequately for that. How <laughs> how many breakups have you been through so that you can write at least this break? I can't compensate you for that. But I can stand right here and say, you go. You write that next story. I can't wait to see that. You know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's a cool life. It's a cool yeah. life. Well, uh, Sarah, I just want to make sure I don't miss anything. Any last questions? No, I believe we've kept you long enough we today, have. Archie. <laughs> we have. Archie, if folks want to find you online, where can they find you? Starting with Patreon. 
Yeah, my Patreon is, you know, patreon.com slash Archie Bon Giovanni. Um, I'm on, like I said, I'm a lot of fun on Instagram. My username on Instagram is babyrist. Um, and then I am grease underscore bat um, on Twitter. And then also like archiebongiovanni.com is my site. But Archie Bon Giovanni shop is my shop. So if you like, you know, are interested in my books or that don't overthink what feels good zine, um, et cetera. Um, I've got some really fun, very gay merch on there. Beautiful. If you didn't have a pen, don't worry. Don't swerve into traffic. You can, when you get home, if you're driving or right now, if you're somewhere safe, hit those three dots next to the title of the episode. That'll expand our show notes and we will have links to all of that in there. So if you didn't have a pen, don't worry about how it's spelled. Don't stress yourself out. We've got Mm -hmm. you covered. Oh my God, Archie, like you are such a delight. Uh, I had so much fun having you on the panel, even COVID stricken, but it's so nice to have you here for so long and just be like, wait, but let me ask you, wait, one more. I have one more inquiry. Uh, so as my therapist, what are you, you know, like that's just such a delightful thing to to get to do. So thank you for taking the time and being here with us here for, for so long. It's a true fucking gift. And um, I'm just grateful for your time. Sweet. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Of course. It's our pleasure. Sarah, God damn it, I love you, you fucking angel. Monica, Aww. we love you. Priya, we love you. Kate, we love you. You are the bitches that make the comics go round. I don't think that makes sense. We love everyone's pets, too. We love all the pets. <laughs> thank God for pets. Please stop peeing on our things. But we love you. But please stop peeing on them. We'll love you anyway. You know, it's yeah, not going to change a thing. I, I care so much less about that now in my life than I ever thought I would, actually. <laughs> okay, well, I think so we changed like, spots, oh, Sarah. Well, like, I'm back in the mad about it all the time place. Hopefully I come back round. Sure. <laughs> yeah, after living with my giant rabbit oh, who just Heather. would, like, hop up and pee on me, I would. I was just like, you know what? She's like, you're my mom. That's just your way of showing love. You're my mom, <laughs> just FYI. And you're like, no, I know. I know. I noticed. <laughs> I know. I'm aware. I feed you every day. I sure know. Uh, Well, you know what? Thank you, listeners, for joining (laughs) us. We are always just so grateful for you. Patrons, I mean, we gave you a whole spot today of just like, you are the best. Mm -hmm. You are great. You are amazing. And we mean it. Thank you for being with us. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful day, morning, evening, night, whatever time, middle of the night, midnight snack, what have you. (laughs) You make the comics go round. You're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at BitchesOnComics and on Instagram at at BitchesOnComics. Our website is, brace yourself, BitchesOnComics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. (laughs) Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. 
head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And together, we run Buffering, a rewatch adventure, a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. Buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times, and we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.